This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we take a deep dive into mental health with advocate, former NHL goalie, all around awesome Canadian and broadcaster Kelly Rudy. He breaks down his relationship with his family, his own battles through mental health and healing, and challenges that NHL players face in the form of mental health every day. It's a great conversation. It's coming up for you. Plus, we've got Andy Barrar highlighting some 420-friendly home farming and, uh, and other things that we do on The Shift right here on the podcast. I've always taken exception to my work asking me to use my personal phone. And I don't even mean like putting apps on it. I mean just, hey, by the way, you have a phone, you have data. Put your work email on there. Jesse Miller, Mediated Reality, overall, uh, social media nerd, joins us here on the uh, on the shift. And, uh, and th- like, we're not alone in this, Jesse. Like, this is a, a thing that you figure has been around for a really long time. We're just seeing it now. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you mentioned social media nerd, but as an educator of social media, I do a lot of, cor- I do a lot of corporate, a lot of government work. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I, in my entire career, have been advocating for is the separation of church and state when it comes to personal use of technology and the expectations of the employer. And the thing is, is that my unique vantage point is one where we see people get themselves into trouble at work because of something that kind of crossed over from the personal use of social media or an email that was sent from the wrong account, or they were uh, navigating, like, let's say they were a social media coordinator for a company and they forgot to log out of the Twitter account and they thought they were you know, tweeting from their personal one. So any of these stories that kind of come up in the past 10, 15 years, like I've always done the talking head routine of, well, here's where companies should be a little bit more proactive in getting their employees, the tools that they need. But the reality of it here is, is that we are now a convenience-based culture with our cell phones and employers are reaping that benefit because they don't have to pay for you to be in connectivity on their own on their own dime. It's it's easy enough for them to text you. It's easy enough for them to send you a message. And that's where things in our new reality of of virtual working, being mobile, uh, being at home and regulated to technology that we provide to the employer, that's where things have to start changing if we're going to accept this new version of uh, how people work from home or don't actually go into the office. I charge my phone on my corporate laptop. So I have, the show is done through hardware. It's not done through my computer. But then again, here I am using my computer to browse all the things when I'm at home. That being said, I do have a corporate laptop that I do most of the corporate work on because that gives me the access, VPN access back to the to, back to the office. But if I charge my phone, it always prompts me, do you want to you know, have this computer have access to your photos or whatever? And you got to always hit no because... Your photos, you know, you might have had date night or something coming up and all of a sudden that backs up to your corporate computer and you don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like the date night. I want to go down this path and see what kind of photos are <laughs> there. Date, date night looks like. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's the funny part too, right? Like what we try and do with our phones is this hybrid of intimacy versus professionalism. And the thing is, is that like when I text a friend of mine who let's say works for the government, I I am cognizant not to send them anything on the phone number that they gave me that's for their quote unquote professional part of their life. 
But the reality of it is, is that we now have, have these ups and downs where people do make the mistakes of, oh, I just have to charge my phone really quickly. So to your point of connecting their personal device to uh, a corporate piece of technology. Now in the workplace, you know, there are firewalls to protect the company, but not a lot of firewalls to protect the employee. So if the employee does sync something or that something does come out of the, of the corporate system, that now uh, you've got IT security coming at the employee saying, no, you didn't do your due diligence. You didn't make sure that our privacy and our security of our network was uh, upheld. You know, we do hear about people who do get let go from 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 companies for very minimal, you know, privacy breaches. And sometimes it is used as an excuse. But when we hear these stories of people compelling uh, an employee and saying, you have to download this app, we have to be able to track you. If that's the case, the employer should be buying technology for the employee so that they can have that oversight and that accountability. It should never be on the employee's personal phone. Well, I'm back to that original story about the lady who was working in janitorial and she was asked to put the app on her phone and the app would track based on geofence, which is coordinates, and it would know your time in, time out at work because you would just cross into it. But the ask was on the personal phone. Is this way, this to me seems like way too much because some of those apps can track you not only when you enter and exit the geofence, but they can create a whole ping history of where you've been. Yeah, they can create not only the ping history, but they can also interweave your your contacts. They can highlight just your behaviors with your device. And there are so many levels of privacy within that that some people just don't care about. Like, you know, Facebook actually counts how many times you open up the app, but it also counts how many times you you pick up your device. So in that, when you consider how we, we meld our personal social media with uh, our employers, I mean, the reality of it is, is that if you've got your boss's contact phone number in your phone and you still have a social media platform on your personal device, at some point, your profile will be suggested to your uh, direct supervisor just based on that connectivity of those phone numbers being in the same uh, environment like Facebook. But within that, when we consider government, like, you know, in Canada, our our RCMP officers, the majority of the general duty police officers don't have cell phones for the purpose of their job. But the ones who are in specialized units, let's say like school liaison, or if they're working within a specialized unit, they'll be given phones, but they're very base model devices. I mean, they're flip phones. I love doing school events where all these kids pull out their iPhones and their Androids, and you see the school liaison in the corner waving their, their flip phone because that's what their employer trusts them with because that's all they need in the scope of their job job. How are you connected to the job? Well, we just need to be able to get a hold of you by a phone number. And that's really the the stretch of it. But here's the neat part. Like when we see RCMP officers, let's say as an example, using their personal device to take a photograph of a crime scene, right? They can then email that photograph to themselves at their RCMP account. They can then add it to the evidence file. But then during the course of, a, of an investigation, like anything that they did can become part of the, uh, the discovery for both Crown and for defense, which means you know parts of their personal life can then end up on the stand based on how their phone was audited. So within that, if you think about that extreme for the RCMP, now go to doctors who are taking pictures of, of a patient's uh, x-ray and they're asking a nurse to send it to them because they're en route to the hospital. There are so many levels of privacy that hospital authorities maintain and government officials maintain. But when we think about it in a school district for this story, you know, a custodial engineer being told, we don't trust you and we need you to download an app that does a geofence to the school building. That is a drastic overstep compared to does the custodial engineer need a cell phone 
phone for the purpose of their job. And that's the thing is that, yes, potentially in some circumstances they do. And traditionally it would be like a walkie talkie. But in this circumstance, having somebody being told you need to download something so we're, we know where you are. What if the person didn't have a cell phone? Are they meeting the, the compliance of their job at that point? Okay, so trust is clearly a thing here, and I would like to think that you know maybe we trust too much, but the reality is the employer doesn't trust the employee. Are you actually getting your job done? I mean, there, let's be honest, there have been all kinds of people, maybe us ourselves included, would have gone into a situation or a job and we've said, oh yeah, just get it done, I don't care how long it takes, right? Be like, well, how much you get paid for? I get paid for four hours. How long did it take you to do the job? Hour and 10 minutes. Okay, so there could be, there could be some real detail-oriented thoroughness um, in question, but at the same time, it's clearly a trust issue from the employer. I mean, it sounds to me like the employer is not, um, they're not fulfilling their end of the bargain, right. And in, in either training or coaching or proper technology and, and where this goes. And we get faced with that though. This is a job. Some people, Jesse, they, they don't have, they, this is my only job that I have today. I don't want to push back, Jesse. I don't want to put your app on my phone. But I have to because you know what? I really need this job right now. Yeah, and that's where we need more advocates. I mean, obviously, within certain aspects of, of the conversation, you're going to have unions, you're going to have uh, groups of individuals who actively advocate for the individual's rights within employment law. But here's the thing, just culturally, I mean, that's where we all somewhat get too complacent in this as well. We are okay having our personal device in the workplace. But, you know, when you have children coming into a, let's say, a middle school classroom, majority of kids are somewhat compelled to hand their phones over to a teacher or they're, they're told, put your device away. But if you were constantly working, walking into a, a bricks and mortar workplace and your boss was saying, okay, eight hours of work ahead of you, give me your phone, I'll give it to you on the break, I don't trust you with it, you know, the majority of people would say, well, that's, that's an unrealistic expectation in our in our connected world today. But that said, you know, when we consider just the spectrum of expectation, yeah, in certain spaces, individuals may have that pressure where they feel like, well, my boss is constantly calling me on my phone. Well, what kind of boundaries are in the expectation of employment? It was that highlighted in hiring. Does HR address that issue as well in the sense of saying, no, if you feel uncomfortable at nine o'clock at night with your direct supervisor sending you a text message saying, hey, make sure you're ready for the morning. There are issues within that that really do fall into a scope of before we hit the ground running here with the fact that we have the tech technology? What are the best practices in how to use it and how to make sure that somebody doesn't feel like their job is being encroached on or their lives are being encroached on 24 hours a day? Okay, well, let's go back in time. Go back in time to working at a warehouse or at a, a mill or factory or whatever. You know, you wanted to reach dad. Well, the only person who had the boss's phone number was mom, because if it was an emergency, you could always call the mom would call the boss. But aside from that, once dad went to work, or mom went to work, if you flip it on its ear. I mean, you had to wait until your father got home before the conversation happened, which was used always as a threat for us as children. Wait till your father gets home. But that was the thing, right? Like there was no, there was no interrupting dad's work on the wrenches on the machine in order to say, Hey dad, can we have pizza for supper? I mean, you had to make a plan in advance and you know, we lived life differently. So is it completely absurd of us as people today to expect that constant connectivity when maybe we should just let mom and dad go to work. 
Partially. I, I mean, I, I think you and I had very similar childhoods in that regard. Both my parents were <laughs> professionals. And if I if I called my parents for the the you know minimal intrusion of, hey, can I make a sandwich after school? I would have been torn into at home by the end of the day because they're saying you're not able to take care of yourself. You're not able to focus on this. But the reality of it is parenting. I mean, there's a lot of mixed messages there in the, in the first place. But here's the thing what I want you to consider when it comes to this idea of the employer having oversight. And to your very good example is that any form of distraction is at the end of the day, uh, efficiency, it's safety, it is the employer saying, well, you know what, we're not paying you here to text your partner, your spouse, your kids. And if we take away the cell phone, the personalized part of it, it is the intrusion. So if you were at work and the person who was manning the phones at the workplace kept paging you over the intercom and calling your name saying, Shane, there's a phone call for you on line three. And then, you know, you're sitting there and you're talking to your kid and it has, happens four or five, six times a day. Eventually somebody's going to say, you're here to work. You know, I get the home stuff's going on, but it doesn't seem like it's an emergency. So how do we, you know, minimize the impacts for you? And that's really a proactive approach approach in the 1980s. This said, when we're considering it now, I guarantee there are employers right now, I don't care what field you're in, who have experience walking past somebody on the job site and that person is hiding their phone like a scared child mm -hmm. because they believe that they're going to face some punitive because they were texting again or taking a selfie or swiping on a dating app, whatever it was they were doing. So within that, we unfortunately do actually give teachers this policing duty to take kids' phones away. But we as adults, we don't lead by that example at all. But just imagine instead of a texting and driving ticket because you get pulled over by the police, they take your phone away for 24 hours. What kind of accountability would you have in that regard? Would you sit there and say, well, you know what, you're right, and I shouldn't have my phone. I should have this taken away. But the reality of it is, is that in this story specifically, the employer is trying to use a tech solution for something that is really kind of, you know, nickels and, and dimes, as opposed to understanding that their individual employees are going through everything as equally as everybody else. And if you can't have a little bit of trust knowing that the person's in the building, the people are working, or just addressing that very specific issue as opposed to the people as a whole, um, you know, either you can't have it both ways. You can't have them on their personal devices and using a geofence. And if you really want to keep them under lock and key, get each person in your employee their own device and say, you need to carry this with you as part of your job and, you know, eat that cost. Yeah, I'd go as far as to say the business model doesn't work. Either get off your butt and invest in uh, the people to hold them accountable and do spot checks on attendance or, um, you know, or, or get off your own butt and start to communicate and be a mentor to your people. I would say the business model doesn't work in that case. Um, and may maybe it's the business model and bad business design, you know, or greed. I guess it could go either way. Greed's very much highlighted there. The one thing that we have to consider here is that majority of our privacy laws haven't caught up to how we're using our tools of convenience. So that's why we do see, let's say, a nurse who gets disciplined because they took a picture of a patient because the doctor asked them, they felt compelled, they felt like the doctor knew best. But in that, when we think about privacy law, when we think about HIPAA compliance, when we think about the idea that a picture of you in the hospital might now be on somebody's social media account, like all of those things really do play into how do we want to treat others in, involving these technologies. And if privacy is a concern, and, it, and it, it should be for everybody, it's not whether or not that boss can get a hold of you, it's whether or not they, they, they should be. Yeah, and you just brought up a whole other thing for me that I think we should set an appointment to talk about, which is uh, kids and social like Snapchat, because you have to send a picture, taking pictures of people and things without their permission. Now, in public, that would be okay, because it's public domain in theory. But 
it's not always okay when people are around and that causes problems too. We'll save that for a whole other conversation another time. Uh, Jesse Miller mediated reality and I will not call him a social media nerd. I will say a social media consultant on so many levels. It's kind of, it's kind of nerdy there. So I get the burn in there anyway. How about that? I got the glasses. I'll take the nerd. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're very good at what you do. So I appreciate you being here. Thanks brother. Thanks, Shane. This is the shift podcast. Uh, happy 420. You are a DIY and a gadget uh, nerd like no tomorrow. And um, and so we might as well get into some of the home gardening conversation of uh, the world of Andy Barrar. And of course, we're talking about air quotes, sunflowers. <laughs> of course, we're talking about sunflowers. Listen, we live in a country that allows you to grow your own cannabis up to four plants. So Everything we're going to talk about is completely legal here because we're exercising our, our rights as Canadians. Um, before we move on to that, I will say you are, uh, from my understanding, you've got the sunflowers and you are particularly proud of those. I did want to acknowledge the sunflowers. I, I do have, yes. They're called Russian, giant Russian mammoths. So they grow up to about 10 feet, I believe. And I got a head start this year, Shane. I started growing them indoors on March 2nd. If anybody wants to see it, I got one. His name's LeBron. Uh, go to my website, handyandymedia.com. Go to the blog section. I just posted a little video. I'm going to keep taking photos of LeBron every week. He is going to get really, really big this year. I'm feeding nice. it really good too. Got mushroom manure, watering. It's like got the whole package to become the ultimate sunflower. So you've already started now in, in your climate here in Canada. You You can start early. Um, your DIY garden. Did you figure out the automated watering thing yet? I did. I did. And again, I posted a video. It's working. Shane, I really, I've been gardening for now five years, right? And I'm like this really high tech, like nerd. And so I try to take the lowest tech hobby and within five years, it's completely high tech. So it's a self-watering garden. But not only that, I designed it so you cannot get any weeds. And the way I did it was putting this black uh, landscaping paper and then cutting holes where each of the plants go. And I use something called square gardening method where you, you create these like square foots inside the garden and then you plant a different vegetable. So if you go to my website, if any gardening fans are out there, you got to check this garden out. It's five years in the making. HandyAndyMedia.com. Go to the blog section. You'll see the first post there is on this garden. It's like the perfect garden. So much stuff is growing right now. I'm already harvesting lettuce, kale, and spinach, Shane, and it's April. And this is the first time I did this because I planted them in like February and March, and they didn't die because of the climate that I live in on the West Coast. All right, so the uh, the natural question is, have you ever tried to grow cannabis? You're never more than four plants? I did. I did. Actually, I also have this like hobby greenhouse that I bought on eBay. And what I noticed was in the summertime, it just gets super hot in there, like up to 45, 50 degrees. So every plant that I had died and somebody gave me a cannabis plant, two of them last year. I threw them in there and they loved it. They were just thriving. So this year I got four of them in there. And again, I started these early because the Canadian rules, they don't say how big the plants can be. They just say you can have four plants. So you know me, Shane. I'm always bending the rules. I'm hugging the line that they, that they draw. <laughs> so these plants could be just like my sunflower outside, but they're in a greenhouse. So they're going to get really big. So I'm going to have to make them grow sideways rather than up because 
the greenhouse is only about four, maybe five feet tall. Now, I know nothing about marijuana plants. I don't. I know know nothing. So, I mean, do they do they smell like skunkweed? Like, do they really reek when you grow them? So, so here's how it works. When it first starts growing, it looks just like your typical cannabis plant. What happens is when the light starts to change. So, when you see about twelve hours of daylight and twelve hours of darkness, that tells the plant to start uh, creating the buds. Because essentially what it is, as the cannabis plant is a female plant and it creates the, the bud and they always say it's like sticky icky, but essentially that's to attract the, the uh, pheromones from the male plant. So when the male plant uh, pollen gets stuck onto that female plant, but if you don't have any male plants around, those buds just get bigger and bigger. And that's the, essentially the cannabis that we consume. Um, but what happens is if by chance you have a male plant around all these female plants it will it will basically like pollinate them all and then they're, they're basically like it's pretty pretty much garbage and that's why when people used to talk about getting cannabis from mexico they would find seeds in it that's what happens is when you have a male plant in a basically like a sorority of female plants it will destroy your crop and and so they do a lot of effort to make sure that they have female plants, especially when you grow from seed, you got to make sure it's not a male plant because that's disaster. It's basically hemp is what a male plant is. And the cannabis is the female plant. All right. Well, it sounds absolutely interesting to uh, find out where this goes because I have no idea uh, any of these things. Although I, I think my neighbors assume that I, I have weed plants in my basement because I do have UV lights in my basement because that's where I'm trying to grow a cutting garden. And so, um, which is incredibly hard because I don't have heat mats to warm the soil. So the plants always think it's not growing time and they often grow, 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 but they don't actually flower. So I'm going through my own thing there and I uh, got to try to figure it out, but I'm just going to get them outside on these warm days, get that soil warmed up and then they'll just, but I've got one pineapple now. It is so big. I mean, I think this, the, I call them spines. I don't know what they are, but they're, they're the, the green parts of the pineapple. They, um, like they're three feet, almost four feet long and so i think that this summer i'm going to get a flower where, it takes where did two you or three years where did you get a pineapple plant from uh well, i have two kinds i have three kinds i have a domesticated one that you go buy at a plant shop it's like the pineapple that gets about as big as a softball it's like a like a, a dwarf pineapple kind of thing i don't know what the breed is and then i have a costa rican one which is literally from the store cut the top off pull it apart get to the root base soak it grow it and then I have, and then they, they grow and they grow more shoots and they just keep growing more plants because they, they only grow one time. They only flower one time and it takes two to three years for them to flower. And that's what creates the pineapple. And then I have a Hawaiian pineapples that I bought in Hawaii and brought back here, grown on Oahu and brought back here because you don't really buy Hawaiian pineapples in the store anymore. It's mostly Costa Rican. Um, Hawaii basically is self-sufficient on pineapples, but they don't, they don't farm them out and uh, export them like they used to. So yeah, so I have three kinds, Costa Rican, Hawaiian, and then this little domesticated one. Do you have so, like a thing for pineapple plants? Like I, you're the first oh, guy. I love pineapples. No, I love pineapples. I love everything you, to do with pineapples, the history of them, the things they stand for, everything. Yeah, that's Really? Why. That This is fast. Yeah. So I guess you put pineapples on your pizza then. Uh, oh yeah, but I, actually I'm not a fan. I do ham and pineapple pizza, but it's not my favorite kind of pizza. So, but I love eating pineapple in general. Yeah, so I would put pineapple on pizza. 
Pineapple on wow, everything. That's, in, that's interesting. Um, I, 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 I would have never thought you were a yeah. pineapple guy. You know, you you. Uh, this is Andy interviewing Shane now. Here on the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the tables have turned. It is the tables have turned. All right. One thing that we have coming up in conversation for you is uh, working from home. Technology and devices and things we're using working from home. As the prospect looks like, we're still going to be sticking around the house for a long time. Yeah, and for a lot of people, and you know, and their work companies. They have used all these new online platforms. Of course, everybody's using Zoom. We're using Zoom right now so I can see you and, and the rest of the team while we're chatting. But there's also other software that you're using. And the thing about Zoom is it's a real-time kind of software. But there's also other types of online platforms that are becoming more popular, and they're asynchronous. Essentially, it's like you can go onto this platform whenever you want. And what was funny is I learned that you guys actually use one of these platforms called Trello. And that has become very, very popular during the pandemic. And Trello is basically a way of, you know, working with teams where you can assign tasks to people, create kind of like a little job or an assignment and have due dates, but you don't actually have to communicate with people at the same time. You can kind of hop in whenever it's convenient for you. And these type of platforms, Shane, are really taking off because they're showing employers that employees can stay at home and still be productive because in the old days, you know, they want to see you at your desk. They, you know, employers, it makes them feel good that you must be working because you're sitting at your desk. Well, with the pandemic, it's been like this big social experiment where we're seeing all these new online platforms demonstrate with proof that you can be productive at home. And the big question is, when this is all over, how many people are going to want to go back to the, to the office because they've gotten so used to being productive at home. And that's all because of these online platforms that are have really taken off during the pandemic. Well, and I would say that one of the coolest things about it is that it timestamps things. I mean, when you're sitting at your desk, you can never really tell what kind of work somebody's doing. You know, are they really, they, it's done by the end of the day, but they could be fooling you to think that you're working hard and they actually got the whole day's work done in 20 minutes, right? But this stuff timestamps everything. So I think there's actually more accountability on there in um, making sure that, you know, things have been read, things have been seen, things have been moved. I think it's really cool when Ryan and I are working on stuff and, and he's moving things around in the show and I move things around in the show and we don't have to have five conversations. I, I mean, I, I had a moment today where I was like, okay, I, I'm going to move where we do in case you missed it. And are you okay? And I just move them all around. We don't have to talk about it. And, um, the only reason we have to talk about it is if there was something that he had in mind, he's like, Oh, I wanted to do this. So, I mean, it really does create some freedom to create and they're cool things. Do you, um, are there any other ones that you see that are really, really great that people are using? Well, what we're starting to see, Shane, is hybrids of these kind of synchronous and asynchronous programs. So Slack is a really good example because in Slack, you know, you have those channels, but then you also have a live chat. And so what these platforms and my prediction is, you know, once this is all over because of these platforms, I think what we're going to see is business travel go re be reduced significantly because we are able, people are so able, uh, you know, accustomed to using Zoom to have these chats that they're going to be like, you know what, we're going to save a lot of money if we don't send, uh, you know, our employees to go on these business travel trips. But for young people, I think what's going to happen is rather than just work at home, they might take extended vacations. They might say, you know what, I'm single, I'm young, I'm going to go and stay in Bali for two months and work 
on the beach. And I think that's a viable option for a lot of people who have decided. And, you know, there's a lot of people who even got jobs during the pandemic, got completely onboarded online, have never stepped into an office. And imagine mm-hmm. that you could work for a company and you've never physically met any of your employees. And there oh, are that. thousands of people that, are, that have done that. And it's quite remarkable. Well, that's this show. Um, if you go back in time, um, Jason Manawas, Sunshine Sparkle Pants, who produces the show, used, produced the show for a segment of time um, after Chris Gilbert left. So Chris Gilbert got hired as a contract, uh, as a temporary contract. That's how we met him. And then he came and he produced the show for months. I've never met Chris face to face ever. Um, now, Ryan and I, we've spent time because of, you know, we're in the same city, so we did see each other. And um, and plus, I drop off whiskey at his house. Uh, also, but Brendan, I've never met Brendan. And then so much so that even Matt and Chris had never met and, and all of these things. So yeah, to your point, in a business, it's like, well, can you have the meeting online and meet the people that way? Yes. Okay. Then you don't have to go there. Now, some, some deals are better to meet the people and sit face to face and sort of feel it out. Those things I would imagine will still happen because there has to be some humanity to some of these deals. But I think you're right, man. Like some of these things, it's never going to go back. Were you able to build like relationships though, when you haven't met the people like in face to face, because that's one of the big challenges. And that's why I think stuff like zoom will stay around because it is way better to be able to look at somebody at least over a, a screen than talk on a phone when it comes to building that kind of relationship. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at, um, when you look at, I mean, Chris left the job to go with his partner and move halfway around the world and he's still on the show. So I would say that the answer to that is yes. I, I see more people like this um, than I do anywhere else nowadays. So I think it's great. I think it's interesting. I would hate to be in the business of commercial real estate right now. I think that's a pretty scary realm. And uh, a lot of that's going to change. But in this world of needing housing, there could be opportunity there too. So we'll see what happens. I I agree with you. I think uh, you're going to see a lot of open spaces in in major cities like New York because of this. I'm going to send you some some links here that have been sent to me. Handy Andy, uh, handyandymedia.com. These links that are coming your way, Andy, are from Steve. And Steve has a bunch of uh, links and articles on how to take your marijuana plants and split them into separate vines and branches so it looks like it's a bunch of plants but it's actually technically only one plant so you could end up with five six or seven of them uh, instead of just one i'll send that your way thanks for being here buddy my pleasure anytime it's the shift podcast sometimes in life there are people around us every day and i don't want to say we take them for granted and they're most certainly not like wallpaper but sometimes we just don't realize the amazing things that they're doing. And that can be an incredibly kind clerk at a grocery store. It can be the total stranger that holds open the door for you when you're probably too far away. You know, you're walking up towards the door and they wait that extra second for you. Just people who do amazing things. I've really tried to look into uh, the people around me and be really grateful for some of those people. And I think there's a, a guy that... All Canadians know that does that every day. And I just really wanted to bring him on the show because of some of the stands he takes. And this gentleman's name is Kelly Rudy. Kelly is uh, a former NHL player. You see him on the TV. Uh, he's the handsome guy in the corner. I'm just sucking up a little bit. Kelly, how are you? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's 
that was a great intro. I've never been, nobody's ever said kind things about me before. So I was like, <laughs> even though you had to lie and embellish and make it all up, but oh, come this on. Is, uh, I'm really looking forward to this chat. It's going to be amazing. We, uh, you, uh, you've been hawking around with those hockey chirp guys too much. That's all. <laughs> They're just <laughs> trying to burn you all the time. Um, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. You have a lot of moving pieces inside your life, but at the same time, you don't. And one of the things I really admire is your stand for family. Mm-hmm. I love your love for hockey and, um, and you work really hard. So inside all of that, I, I wanted to invite you to chat a little bit about uh, how amazing your family is and, and uh, understand how hard they work in their stand. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe you could introduce to everybody, maybe what a, you know, a little bit of Kelly Rudy's life is like, I think that, you know, that that's kind of cool. Plus somehow through this, I'm going to try to talk you into running for prime minister. We'll get to that later. <laughs> no, I, I like my day job. I think I'm good. And you're uh, good. You know, Shane, I think, uh, well, I appreciate this opportunity to chat with you, but I think that when you really, if you really want to get to know me, just, Cole's Notes version, maybe just follow me a little bit on social media, whether it's uh, Twitter or Instagram, because I like to think that I just, I keep it real about what's important to me. Now, if you want to go and follow me because you think you're going to get hockey updates, most likely not ever going to happen because I, mm-hmm. I find that what what I'm trying to do is show people a little bit about me and my family and the importance of uh, that and how connected we seem to be with that. And we, we talked about uh, like, I'm really proud of my playing days and my broadcasting career. There's no question about it, but most proud of our work with mental health. And uh, I think that's what that really provides me with a connection to a lot of people. And that just gives me such great joy. It warms my heart. It makes it real. I feel uh, authentic when I, I talk about it in a real way and I don't try and uh, you know, I don't try and, mislead people in that sense i know how hard this topic is um you know it's one that uh, we're becoming way more comfortable with which i I really appreciate because i i I suspect 10 years ago shane uh that you and i would not have been chatting about this wouldn't be on a national radio show talking about this and our feelings and how are you doing and uh what's today like for you and and the really important conversations. And that to me has been the biggest growth in this conversation that we're, we're really moving to a place that uh, I like. It's, it's not at the pace that I'd like it to be. I, I, I prefer that governments, whether federally, provincially uh, would do more to help people that are in need. And so that they don't have to wait in a queue for three months or six months but it, I think if we continue to stay loud and have this conversation, that in time, whether it's five years or 10 years, it's my goal that that won't be uh, the situation anymore. I think people will immediately have the ability to go find the help that they need within hopefully hours or days. And uh, uh, that maybe it's a pipe dream of mine. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe, you know. Uh, I'm overly enthusiastic about this uh, conversation, but that's where I kind of think we are. So my point about introducing my family, that's what we're about. So we're about having these conversations, uh, um, you know, off topic a little bit here, but, you know, I was, I made a a conversation about Black Lives Matter. Uh, uh, Two of them, uh, one I went to video and one I said on Hockey Night in Canada during the uh, 
pandemic in the in the first bubble. And, you know, I felt strong enough to have that conversation because conversations I've had with my children over dinner. And so it's not just, you know, hey, what's your favorite to show on Netflix? You know, so of course we have those conversations also, but we also have real conversations about the world and what's happening and what needs to change. The last year has been hard on everybody. And mm-hmm. um, I, looking at the pandemic, there's been an awful lot of heartbreak that's come out of it. There's no denying that. I can't help but be left with some of the gifts it's given me. And some of the gifts it's given me is a whole new relationship with my kids. I've worked really hard on my yep. relationship with my kids, but my kids have seen those down days now and I've been able to embrace them. Uh, and I'll even say to my kids, look, I'm struggling today. I don't, couldn't tell you what's going on. Yeah. But there's something going on. That's, that's, that's got me struggling today. And I've found, I think what I've learned the most out of the pandemic is I used to work, 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 crash. Right. Yep. And I used to almost tell my body would tell me to stop. You know, I was trying to work a radio radio career and be a business owner and 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 work on my writing and my speaking stuff, and it was way too much. I'd even looking in hindsight, I'd kind of look at it all and go, "Wow, like what were you thinking?" Mm-hmm. But the uh, one of the things the pandemic has taught me has, and I'm curious if this is what happens to you. I find it creeps up on me. I find that the fatigue and and I don't want to say depression because I don't think I struggle with depression. Yeah, but I do know that I get to a point of those bad, those down moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's how I see it today. I reserve yeah. the right to edit that in my mind, in my mm-hmm. heart, down the road. And so I find it creeps up on me. And the pandemic has taught me that it sort of chips away that you don't really see different people. You know, I, I, you know, I, my friend chatted, I, I loved to give him a hug, right? Like yep. um, th- those kinds of things. I, um, I find it creeps up on me bit by bit by bit. And now that I have the awareness with it, I can watch it erode a little bit do you find that it's like that for you how does it work for you oh boy where do i start so with me i agree with a lot of what you said and and when you get fatigued then that can lead to uh, uh, a really difficult place mentally um i i've tried to one of the things like yeah the pandemic has certainly changed all of our lives in many many different ways um but i think that for me i got in I don't want to say a groove, but I got in such a routine prior to the pandemic with all my travel and sort of understanding that when I'm getting tired or overworked, I need to rest. And so I started to do certain things for me on planes. And I was, I don't know, ballpark before the pandemic struck. I was probably on 100 or 150 flights a year, maybe more. Wow. I don't know. I, I know in 2016, I counted up how many hotel nights I had just during the pandemic, or I mean, just during the season, the hockey season, and I had 220 hotel nights. Uh, and wow. that didn't include my my family travel during the off season. So it was getting to a point where there's a lot in there, right? You know, and yeah, so, yeah, it's a lot. I, I remember checking into the hotel one time in Toronto for the start of the playoffs. And uh, they know me because I'm in there every single uh, playoff and, and every single weekend. And so the, the nice uh, girl checking me in says, okay, welcome back, Mr. Rudy. She looks at her counter, her computer and says, Oh, I see you're here for hesitation, hesitation, 67 nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when you put it in context, you can tell that when you're doing that, you're working that hard, you better find a way 
to blow off some steam, get the rest that you need. But then the pandemic, just prior to the pandemic, I'm going to be really honest and share something with you. And I did on social media, a couple of conversations I've shared about what I've been going through. I had an episode in uh, 1992 where I didn't know what was going on. It, it, it leaked into 93. It was about a two month thing. And I didn't know what I was going through, but now looking back clearly it was uh, mental health issues and I was able to get the help I needed. But in the summer of 2019, I started to get all these thoughts and, and, and they were chipping away at my self-worth and whether I could keep this going, whether I could continue to be on national television. Um, I started to put all this pressure on myself to be perfect every night on a broadcast, which is completely impossible and a total irrational thought. And, and those thoughts started to grow and grow and grow. And so it was in late October, the start of that hockey season when I started to recognize that, you know what, something's going on here and I'm going to have to address it at some point. Now, stupidly, I waited longer than I should have. And I first mentioned it to my wife and then I mentioned it to my kids. And I said, you know, I've got to go see somebody because uh, going to work was becoming very, very difficult. In, in fact, I struggled mightily on some nights uh, uh, going to air. And uh, so I tried to hide it as best I could, which was, again, stupid. But uh, finally, uh, I think it was in October of 2020 when I finally went to get the help. And then during the start of this hockey season in January, I went for 10 weeks every single Friday before the uh, Hockey Night in Canada show on Saturday because I, I just recognized I needed to keep up with it and I needed it on a regular basis. I haven't gone in the last two weeks. And uh, I think that that's okay. But I also know that I'm going to keep it close at hand that I'm going to have to go uh, and make sure I'm on top of it so I don't start to slide a little bit. And I'm, I'm really happy to say, and for all the people listening to this, don't feel ashamed because I'm not. It can happen to anybody at any age. I'm a 60-year-old man and, and going through this right now. Uh, kind of unexpected. I, I didn't know that this was lurking. Um, and so I'm really happy to say that, uh, you know, our daughter, and I know we're going to talk about this, her and her husband have that clothing company, More Good Days uh, Clothing, um, dot com and that I am happy to say I'm having way more good days than bad and uh, I, I'm really I really look forward to going on air on Saturdays again my Flames broadcast for whatever reason never really affected me as much but it was Saturday nights that the pressure was getting the better of me and so I'm happy to say that I man alive I look forward to it again and I feel really good after the show on Saturdays and that's something that I hadn't been feeling for a couple of years uh, as a Canadian who is a hockey fan and, uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoy you on TV. Um, you know, I'm biased cause we've met before, so I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I have a little bias there. Like I text Eric all the time about his suits, right? I love Eric. Oh my suits. gosh. He's, right. <laughs> right. And I'm like, yeah, you look <laughs> handsome tonight. Um, so, I mean, I carry that bias admittingly, but I really, I really appreciate you bringing that part up. The, the counseling and psychology and leaning into that as maintenance, not as crisis. Yeah. Um, I mean, as crisis, absolutely. Yeah. But the, we often just think about it as, as, as crisis only, right? Like my car broke down, therefore I need a mechanic as opposed yeah. to getting your oil change, putting your tires done properly, right? All the way along. 100%. And, and that's a remarkable perspective to be able to, to be able to do that and see that. And, 
the irony is you can't unsee it either. Once you see that, the fact that, oh, I can, I can go to the gym a couple days a week or a couple times a month, not just once every year, yeah. right? And work out my, my mind and my heart the way that I work out my body. Uh, that's, that's pretty great. And I, the, another thing I take away from that is a good reminder that there is no finish line. Yeah. Ever in it. We, we think that I got this. Yeah. Im- implies that, you know, there it is like, okay, well, I'm good. I got it. I figured it out. Life is all mine now. Right. Yeah. It, and there is no finish line to that. It was, is that a notion, you know, goalies for the most part are weird, not as weird as their parents, but, <laughs> but you played hockey for a long time with, uh, but you always had an end of a season. You always had an end of a game. You, I mean, there was always a bit of a finish line there. Do you think that's a bit of a carryover from your old career versus your life today? Or is that just a human thing for you? I think it's a human thing. Um, you know, there's uh, just so many, you know, like I said, I'm a six-year-old guy. So it's a human thing for me because I've learned so many lessons along the way. And a lot of these important lessons for me, I think, have been the biggest growth is maybe in the last 15 years, 16 years and really learning about mental health in particular because of our daughter, Caitlin, when she started really struggle when she was or 11 or 12 years old and she's 28 now. And, but there's, you know, I think it's all about accepting what you're going through and learning. I, I know that I went through a really big uh, growth phase professionally and personally when I was traded to Los Angeles. And I, I think that was, well, I know it was 89, but I think I was 28 years old. And those eight years in LA just gave me a new perspective, changed my life. You know, there was uh, hardship in there as well as growth and, and uh, personal, you know, so-called success or whatever you want. And so I was experiencing a lot of things. And then again, in uh, 2005, when, life started to become more of a challenge again. And, you know, some good things were happening at work, but also away from work is like really challenging um, for our family. And so I've just sort of opened, it's opened my eyes to whatever's coming my way. I'm going to have the ability to face it head on and also get the help if I can, because uh, I know again from Caitlin that with her mental health issues that she's going to have them, for the entire for her entire life, so why wouldn't I? If I'm struggling with something here, uh, it's just not magically going to go away in three months or four or five months because I, I started to see somebody. These thoughts, I suspect, can return at any moment. It, it might be a trigger. Might I might have a bad Saturday in the next couple of weeks, and that might trigger something again. And I will I will be smart enough this time not to wait, and I'll, I'll go rushing back. I, by the way, I'm not waiting for an on-air catastrophe to go see my person again, I'm going to just do it as regular maintenance, as you said, so that even if I'm feeling great, I'm going to go there. You know, I got to tell you, I'm really sharing something here, Shane. The last two or three times I went to see my person, we didn't even talk about mental health because we just sat and chatted about the world and what's going on. And I, it just gave me a place of comfort, just sitting in that room with him. And just, it was a safe place for me. I love how you say my person because for me it's my patty, yeah. and I I call it the same thing. I want to acknowledge Kelly the the depth that comes uh, in that share. I really do appreciate that. Can you tell me about Donna? And um, you, I mean, 
I, I would assert that from what I've heard, yeah, heard through people, uh, <laughs> that she's quite remarkable and that you two are a little bit peas and carrots. And, um, uh, you know, how important, can you share with me how important Donna is for you as your wife and best friend and, and how just remarkable that is to have that partner? Oh, I love it. I, thanks for uh, bringing her up. Donna's been uh, my uh, guiding light. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to sound corny or all cliche and all these things, but uh, she's really been uh, my, uh, you know, this is a, I got to put this in proper context. This is the life that some of us lead is just unusual, right? Like who would have ever thought growing up in Edmonton uh, that I would, have ever played in the national hockey league then i'd be on national television for 23 years and i'd have all these incredible opportunities in front of me and then trying to manage that and trying to also remain who i am so i'm going to tell you a story about uh, my time in la when uh, as i said i got traded there in february of 89 and our owner bruce mcnall was a i think a remarkable guy now he got in trouble and he he paid the price for that but aside from that He's not the first guy to make mistakes. And Bruce had a big heart. That still does. I still text him from time to time. But Bruce, his goal uh, when he was owning the Kings was to make all of us popular. He wanted the LA Kings to be not only a really good hockey team, but he wanted us to become maybe the most popular team on the planet. And I think he, to some degree, succeeded in that. But with that popularity, not only as a team, but you get it individually and it can change you to a certain degree because you're young, right? Like I said, I was in LA when I was 28, you know, there's no guidebook to tell you how to deal with some sort of popularity or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, the, the trading card company or that whole thing was exploding at that time. And so there's all these different trading cards and there's autograph seekers, you know, getting the card signed cause they wanted to make their own money, which is a separate issue. And I probably wasn't handling that whole industry and my world all that well at some point. So we're leaving the, the LA forum after a home game and I walk out of the arena and there's some people there and I, I couldn't tell if they're regular, real honest people wanting an autograph or if they're the, the for money seekers. And, and so I suspect, well, I know I wasn't as kind as I should have been. And uh, we get to the car, and before I can even put the key in the ignition, Donna looks over to me and says, that's enough of that. You're going to go back to being the good guy that you used to be. And from that moment, I was never, ever rude, ever, to a person. Um, and in particular, you know, those people that, like she said, you know, so what if they make some money off a, a trading card? You know, you're doing okay, too. Let let everybody earn a living. And and that was great advice. And I, you know, it it it. it you know, that I've never forgotten that. And that just puts in proper context the re- relationship that we have and that she's more than willing to say, hey, you know, guy that over there sitting in that chair that thinks he's pretty important, you're not. You're, you're, you're just one of us. So, you know, get it out of your head that you have some sort of platform or you're somebody important. I... um. I learned that I've learned that through my music radio career with singers, right? You get mm-hmm. uh, friends with singers, of course, through time, and then you go somewhere and you get hounded by people. I mean, that's a whole world that I think most people don't understand uh, about celebrity, if you will, is that uh, there are look people looking to cash in, 
And I've seen it handled well, and I've seen it handled very ugly. And so, I, yeah, I, I get that. I, I, I will say today, I mean, those moments, they break down to, I yelled at a guy today. I hung, hang my head, hung my head outside the window of the car. My son was driving. Yeah. I hung my head outside. And don't get me wrong. This guy was literally blowing a stop sign. Right. And, and, uh, and then slammed on the brakes when he saw us, and he was going to hit us. Right. Uh, but I, I hung my head out the window and I yelled at him today. Mm-hmm. Many people would probably say justified, sure. Yeah. But I, I, um, I yelled at him. I yelled profanities at him today. And it's in those moments now I look back on all of those things and I'm with my kid and, you know, I'm trying to tell him to be a gentleman and be patient <laughs> and forgiving and don't road rage. And I wasn't even driving. I, he was driving. And so, you know, those moments are there. They're going to happen. I, I guess I like to... I like to call them a sort of a temperature check, right? Yeah. How, yep. How's your temperature? And yep. uh, you know, earlier today, my that was my wake up call. Um, when we talk about mental health, there's <laughs> something inside right now, in this very day, that is very built up. And now it's my job to to take a little look and either set it free or or um, or or deal with it. But I've learned that when we wrestle with it. We don't win. Don't tug on the rope, right? Just yeah. drop the rope. Yeah. And it sounds to me like that that's Donna for you. Is Donna's saying, Hey Kelly, just drop the rope, man. Yeah. You're good. One hundred percent. And I could give you many more examples. And um and I just love that about her. And I, you know, I uh she's sort of, you know, when I hear it out of her mouth, it's kind of like my okay, time to reassess what's going on. If she's identified it already and I'm slow to identify what she's talking about, then then I've got to sort of um, look at it, you know, and, and if, you know, I, I might disagree also too, you know, we all have our opinions and there might be a, a factor or a reason why uh, we're doing something. So, um, you know, I just think that it's so important to have a, a friend or a partner or in my case, a wife like that. Like, you know, I, one of the things that uh, I've really enjoyed about my current role, although not during this pandemic is that, when I signed with uh, Sportsnet, um, I think it's ballpark around five or seven times every single year Donna travels with me. So I'm on the road a ton, and uh, I really think it's really important that she she travels with me. We, with me now, you know. In fairness, she'll say she picks some of the best cities, so yeah. we're not going to <laughs> cities that we don't enjoy as much. But and then it's really important for me when I go to Toronto for the playoffs uh, that she travels with me or comes to join me at least twice. Um, and then, as you know, I think following me on uh, social media, uh, we spend a lot of time out uh, at Predator Ridge in the summer together. And yeah. we're, we're great golf partners, although we used to golf almost every single day we'd go out there. We're getting older and our arthritic hands don't enjoy it as much anymore. So we try and take a few more uh, health days and maybe go for a bike ride or a nice hike out there. But it's, I call it my happy place. I hit balls yesterday, man. They're so sore. Right. I can't believe it. Oh my God. Um, right. But, and for hockey fans, I will say that if you ever want to meet a hockey player, just go to Kelowna, like, yeah. or Vernon, like you're going <laughs> to, you'll meet a hockey player, like probably in the grocery store. Um, it's a beautiful place. I, um, I, I really, really, really appreciate uh, that story and the value of that story. I think that that speaks to where we're at. So uh, you know, as all of us as humans. So thank you for that. Mm. So tell me about, um, tell me about Caitlin. Cause I have a takeaway that this is something that you've taught me mm-hmm. just in the last, I don't know, week or so. 
that you don't even know that you taught me. Okay. And uh, more good days. Uh Uh-huh. So more good days as a phrase, as a word nerd, um, that's that's the name of of the the project and and what yeah. Caitlin's up to and and everything else. The irony is is you know what I've been calling it and I I share this with everybody just because of perspective. Mm-hmm. This is my lesson. Yeah, I was calling it no more bad days. Oh, perfect, right? Isn't that isn't that interesting? Isn't yeah. it interesting to look at it from it's the same thing? And I was looking at it from no more bad days, and then I realized, wait a second, why am I taking that perspective on it? Mm-hmm. And so I would just be with it and learn, okay, well, it means the same thing, but I'm taking this perspective for some reason and, uh, and, and just be with that. So I just wanted to share that, that sometimes we don't always get, we find our way is kind of my point with that. So tell me about more good days and um, why it's an important stand for Caitlin, for your family and where it's at. Cause I think it's moregooddaysclothing.com. Yes, it is. So thanks for that plug. Um, We're really proud of them, by the way, her and her husband, Hayden, They've done an amazing job. Hayden is an artist. And so he does all the artwork on the uh, clothing. Just really cool. But I just want to comment on your no more bad days. You know what? I When I was really struggling, you know, for the last little while before I started to get the help that I, you know what? My thing might have been fewer bad days because I, I to, to eliminate all bad days would have been impossible and not right. a manageable goal. But if I would have had fewer bad days that would have been a good thing to set my sights on but here's how this the genesis of the clothing company came to be more good days so as i mentioned kate was really struggling uh you know her life became became unmanageable in 2005 and so we went to get her some help and she was diagnosed with anxiety and ocd and through uh literally years of uh constant uh, help she told us when she was 16, she goes, you know, I'm starting to have more good days than bad. And so that was like a real eye opener to us. And so we thought, okay, so we're sticking with this program because it's starting to work. It's, it's been a long road, but it's starting to work. And, and so that's where that, that uh, more good days clothing line started. It just the two of them came up with this concept and instead of adding than bad they just thought more good days and people can relate to it and um boy can people relate to it it's cool because i got a uh text from hayden today and he said he had to run out to a uh i'll be honest he went to a liquor store today he had to get some perfect he's in my kind of guy (laughs) right he's in the craft beers and so on he's taught me about that i'm i'm still a kokanee kind of guy or but nonetheless and uh, he was wearing his of course he was his, he's proud to wear this more good days hoodie or a zip up or something and the clerk in the liquor store knew the brand and that was a real significant moment for hayden and uh he was so proud of himself i could tell in the tone of the text and that uh you know this is catching on but not only is it catching on for you know the small little company that they have this, the saying is kept catching on. Like people are understanding, it. you know, not only uh, are these, is a small family trying to grow this brand, but the messaging is most important. It, it's, you know, that's the thing that uh, I get from people when I talk about what I've gone through in particular, that first, uh, uh, was it the January 13th, my birthday, my social media post or one I had three weeks ago, I think it had upwards of 300,000 views. And wow. 
yeah, and comments. People just inundated me with uh, comments on my social media. And uh, not to, I don't want to put this on me, but I, I felt it necessary to respond to every single person. I think it took me three, four days, but I thought if they're kind enough to share something with me and also mention about they're hoping for more good days, I thought it's very important for, for me to reach out to them and offer them encouragement also. And so uh, I just think that that's most beautiful, more good days. Uh, you know, I, I had this wonderful conversation. I'm a big fan of Michael Landsberg, by the way, and his work with Bell Let's Talk, and he and I text often. But it was Bell Let's Talk, and this might have been three, four years ago, and Ron McLean and I were texting. And uh, as you know, Shane, Ron is unbelievable, and just mm-hmm. he just gets it, right? He just gets life, and he's, yeah. he's really deep. And so he sent me a text, something about us talking about mental health and all that. His last comment to me was, inner peace, what a quest. And so yeah. accurate, right? That's what we're all yeah, saying so... for. And, you know, what a statement. Like, I just, even you say it, and I kind of go, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. it might be impossible, but we should all still be reaching for it. Inner peace. Um, I have so many questions, Kelly. We could be here for I days. I love it. We, um, we, uh, I, I'm going to ask this one, though, before we're done. I was going to save this for next time, but I'll ask this one for, <laughs> before we're done. But I'm going to put your dad hat on for me. Yes. I mean, you saw, you know, in the last 15 years, what your daughter's been through. Mm-hmm. And in all that time, you know, I know what it's like when I'm on the radio and I'm afraid to say uh, something stupid. And one of the things that terrifies me about some of the conversations, we've been in conversations about race and about relationships and all kinds of different things, mm-hmm. opioids and um, organ transplants. And I... I always get terrified that I'm going to have that stupid moment. And I, it turned into a moment of levity <laughs> when we call the audience, our audience, uh, you know, we, we call each other shift heads for yep. the show, the shift. And I left out the F one day <laughs> and we were full on in conversation. Like we were just giving her and I was like, you, you bunch of shift heads, but I left out the F yep. and, um, and, um, and I always get paranoid. There's a lot of stress there. So I can only imagine on TV I like going to a restaurant and not being recognized. So I can't imagine. I got friends who do TV <laughs> like you. And, it, you know, sometimes you're hard to hang out with. Uh, not you. Uh, you TV people. Um, and um, But there you are as a dad. You know, you've had this sex, successful career. I mean, you've already had that and uh, your hockey career. And now you're on national television. But really, when it boils down to it, you're just a dad. And you're looking at Caitlin and you're going, man, am I helpless right now? Um, mm. what's that moment like for all the dads out there that have looked at their children and gone, Oh man, I got nothing. Like, what do I do? Like, could, will hugging fix this? Cause that's really much my whole repertoire right now. Holy, where do you start? Yeah, you're right. It, it, you, the range of emotions and the helplessness and all those things. What can I do? I, I, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. I need to do more. Who can I talk to? How can I get on the right path? You, you question yourself continually about that. And, and that's not going to change. And uh, hugs are great, but hugs don't solve anything. Unfortunately, we wish they did, but uh, you've got to try and get them the help. And, and you've got to also sort of dig in yourself and be accepting of what your child may have. Um, I, I think this was a really important topic because Don and I had to remind each other once throughout this whole thing, uh, I got mad at Kate once. She didn't know it, luckily. Uh, I just expressed myself to 
my wife Donna and she got mad at Kate once and same thing. Uh, Kate had no idea. And, and I explained to my wife also, you can be mad at the disease or the affliction, whatever you want to call it, but don't be mad at them because they don't want to have it right. That nobody wants to have mental health issues. Nobody wants to deal with this. Nobody wants to have uh, bad days. Right. So that would be my number one thing. Um, Trust me, you, you will have anger and you'll have fear, fear, uh, feelings. You'll have emotion. You'll go, you'll go through all sorts of different uh, things and, and you'll question why, you know, but there's no answers to some of this stuff. So as a parent, it's, uh, it's tough, man. We go, Kate and I go public speaking a lot and, and uh, we do the talking. Donna is our support. So she always sits in the audience and, but when people come up to us after, you can see the pain in their eyes. You know, eyes, I've always said it, the eyes don't hide, hide the hurt, right? You can you can put on a brave face and you can maybe cover it up that way. But when we look in somebody's eyes, we know the pain. We see it. And, you know, it's heartbreaking when you see it, but it's also heartwarming when you see that they're starting to feel better. And, and that's a really great thing when they start to share their story. And you can see, you know, by their tone, they're, they're starting to feel better. They sort of understand that a lot of what they're going through, the thoughts are irrational. And so it, it's a man, it's, it's something, and, you know, it's all consuming sometimes, you know, you know, forget about a hockey game. I might, might have to broadcast that night and I have no interest. I'm just thinking about how's she doing? You know, what can we do as a family to help her or support her? And yeah, you, you get through, but, it's tough. Who saved who? Did Caitlin save Kelly or did Kelly save Caitlin? I have a sneaking suspicion. I know this answer. Yeah, right. Uh, she saved me. So, mm-hmm. you know, when she was younger, for sure, we had the impact to um, help her. But she was maybe the one reason why I needed to talk about it because she was strong enough to talk about it. And I thought, you better take, uh, you know, her own advice. You better take your advice. You've been t- telling everybody how strong she is, and yet you're not doing it, bud. So that was when I was like, you know what? I've got to really fess up here, and I've got to be, I've got to be honest. And it's affecting me. And and you know what? As the guy that I'm seeing says, you deserve it. Like you deserve to have good good days. Why? Why? You know? And he certainly wasn't punishing me or saying in a dismissive way, but you deserve it. You know, you deserve to have good days. And so, you know, and, and that's kind of my thing too. I, I I remember looking at him like, yeah, I do. You're right. Hmm. Kelly Rudy, you can catch him. Follow the Twitter account. Um, it's easy to find because uh, he's all over it and uh, you can Google Kelly. I think you can get to Kelly uh, H and it pretty much comes up on Google. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, and I and next time Kelly's comes back on the show, I will talk him into running for prime minister. I have a sneaking suspicion he would win without a political platform. Um, and uh, I I do want to acknowledge a couple things: is that we have some friends in common, and uh, I have heard uh, so many fantastic stories about a man named Kelly. And I want to acknowledge for you, Kelly, that. I see your impact on other people and I don't mean it. I mean, the TV, I'm a fan. I love what you do. That's, you know, that's one thing, but I see it. I see it when I talk to my friends who know you, Kelly, 
and they speak of you in a way of gratitude. All the things that that you strive for every day. I just want you to know, brother, that you are that. And your friends tell me that. And that's the that's the ripple effect. That's the butterfly effect. That's the effect you're having on me and your friends and the people around you. You are that today. And I just want you to know that, man, because it's uh you do amazing things for people. You really do. Oh, well, you're gonna make me cheer up, but Secondly, I'd like to say that a lot of this I take no credit for. I seriously don't. Uh, I I had amazing parents, right? Like my mom and dad were awesome. Now, the one great thing about the pandemic is uh, I talked to my mom every single day. And uh, I think I've only missed three or four days during the pandemic. So uh, we talk every single day. And I know a lot of people do that anyways, but I was, you know, I hate to say it, I'm going to make an excuse. I was too busy, so I didn't talk every day to my mom. And, you know, I'm ashamed of that to a certain degree. And, but my dad, you know, we, he was just, hmm. Yeah. Good man. Wow. We see that. And, um, we get to enjoy all of that work. So thank you for the work, Kelly. And thank you for being here. Um, you're welcome to come join us on the shift and be a shift head, even if I drop the <laughs> F and get it wrong once in a while, anytime right. you like. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. What a wonderful conversation, right, my friend? Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.